Well, good morning, church. Pastor Ray here, and right now I have the great privilege of introducing to you our guest preacher for this morning. His name is Tim Hamer, and he is the Director of Compassion and Missions at Harvest Bible Chapel Oakville, which is our planting church. And Tim and his wife Carla, along with their three children, are here with us this morning. And one thing you're going to find out about Tim very quickly is that he is fired up to see the gospel go forward to every tribe, tongue, and nation, both both across the world and here at home. So get your Bibles ready, loved ones, and let's give him a warm Harvest Ottawa welcome. All right. Fired up is right (laughs) for God's word, for sure. Uh, Such a joy to be with you guys uh, this morning. This is um, our family's first time in Ottawa. It's actually the furthest east we've ever been in this country until last night. We crossed the bridge and got our passports stamped in Quebec and then came back and went to (laughs) Fat Boys, I think it was, for dinner. Uh, But it's certainly a joy to be here. Listen, it's the last Sunday of the year and I'm curious who in this place has been cramming this week to get your Bible reading plan in so you can put the stamp and say, I did it, I finished the Bible in one year. Anybody in that category? Maybe you're in my category. It's like the 20th year in a row that I have not completed my Bible reading plan. I confess that to you uh, now, but that's okay. Um, This is the time of year we start to think about maybe um, the year that's passed. Maybe some of the achievements that you had this year. uh, Maybe uh, some of the things that were hard uh, this year. Maybe some of the things you don't want to repeat into 2019. Maybe you're already a little bit like me. You start to make a list of things that you want to uh, see the Lord accomplish in your life in 2019. And listen, it's good to do that. It's good to take stock of kind of the year that's been and maybe not repeat some of the things that have been this year. Or maybe do repeat some of the things that went really well um, in 2018. But it's it's a healthy thing. really to reflect on that, maybe set some goals. But listen, this morning, um, I want to ask you basically a fundamental uh, question this morning, Uh, and it's this. um, If Christ is in you, if you call yourself uh, a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you can say that you've repented of your sin, that you've given your life and your heart over uh, to him, and he's now ruler of your life. So if that's you, if, if you're in Christ this morning, you can say that with confidence, I am a child of God. What difference did that make in 2018 as you reflect back over the year? Can you firmly say in 2018, my life was one that was pleasing to God? And what does that even look like? Like, what what is a life that's uh, pleasing to God? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. I I invite you to open up to uh, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. We're going to look at chapter 11. We're going to look at the first seven verses of chapter 11. And so the title of the message this morning is simply this, Christ in me, a life pleasing to God. That's what we're aiming for. We're going to find out this morning through a few of God's servants what it meant to please him. And we've got sort of a subtitle which says this, my life of radical faith and reverent fear and righteousness uh, forever. Actually, I've got the outline for this message for you right up on the screen. You can see where we're going this morning. Uh, Flip the screen, you'll see it here. Radical faith, reverent fear, and righteousness uh, forever. That's where we're aiming uh, this morning. So I'm giving you the the outline right at the beginning here. Um, But before we do that, I realize that 
what we're going to talk about today is a little bit problematic. Even the title is a bit problematic. It's problematic in this sense. If I say Christ in me, a life of radical faith, or Christ in me, a life pleasing to God, I'm making a major assumption there, right? I'm making the assumption that Christ is actually in you or in me. Now, I have to believe in a room this big, there's probably 100, maybe 120 people here. Um, my prayer is that most of you can say, listen, Christ is in me, I'm, I'm a child of God. But there's no way that everyone in this room can make that claim. I've been a Christian long enough to know that in a room this big, certainly there's a few unbelievers in this room. And so this outline doesn't really work for you um, because Christ is not in you. And so here's, here's what I want to do. You can just go ahead and change your outline. You can just put it, just cross it out and say, Christ in them. That's fine. Just put Christ in them. Maybe that's your act of faith this morning. It's okay to say, listen, I'm just kind of kicking the tires of this church. Maybe someone dragged you out here uh, last week for the Christmas service and you come back. Man, you're welcome here. This is the place to be in Ottawa. Okay? This is the place to be. But... It's okay to say, you know what, I'm not sure that I'm all in yet with this Christian thing or with this church thing. So just in your outline, just put Christ in them. We'll talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But you can go ahead and just be bold and put yourself in that category uh, this morning. So Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going. If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. Just raise your hand. We'll be happy to give you a copy of God's Word this morning. Listen, the best gift that we could ever give you in this church is a copy of His Word. Listen, if you already have a copy of words and you want to take one and give it to a friend, this is not my church, man. Take all the Bibles you want, give them away. It's not my budget. <laughs> Pastor Ray can figure that out when he comes back in a few weeks. So we're going to jump into the book of Hebrews. Before we do that, I want to ask you um, just to pray with me this morning. Would you bow your heads? So Father, this morning, uh, we declare our love for you. Jesus Christ, there is, there is none like you. You're perfect and righteous and holy. And so often, Lord, when I look in the mirror, I'm none of those things, God. And so it's right this morning that we've already spent five or six songs singing to you and singing and exalting your name and worshiping you. Just songs so rich with the name of Jesus Christ. Even read over this this morning that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to happen one day. And so, Father, I pray right now as even in this week, Father, has been tempted to overeat and overindulge, Father, that you would wake us up spiritually right now in this moment for the reading of your word. There's so much power in your word. So, Father, help us, God. Open up our hearts, open up our minds and our ears to receive from you this morning what is the bread of life. So, Father, we declare our love for you and our adoration. We pray all this in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So we're going to open up Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to work through verses 1 to 7 uh, this morning. It's kind of like opening up a book to the middle of the book. So I've got to give you a little bit of context about the book of Hebrews. It was written primarily to uh, the Jews, specifically to the Jews who had converted to Christianity in the early days in the early church. And so this would have been Jews living mostly in Jerusalem. We don't know who the author of Hebrews was. Some people believe it was uh, Paul, but we actually don't know who wrote it. Here's what we know about the author. He was a Jew, he was a Hebrew, and uh, he loved his people. This is really a love letter 
to friends and family to say, I love Jesus Christ, you should too. That's kind of the, an easy way to talk about uh, the book of Hebrews. This, the author had a love for uh, the Hebrews. As we read through um, chapter 11 here, the whole chapter itself um, covers about 14 different heroes of faith. And so the topic that we're looking at is really faith. We're going to see here that the word faith is mentioned eight times in seven verses as we work uh, through it this morning. And so with that context, let me just read the word of the Lord to you uh, this morning, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. And God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And then by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. That is the reading of the word of the Lord. Listen, our first point this morning is this. You might want to write it down. Because Christ is in me, I live a life of radical faith. Because Christ is in me, I live a life of radical faith. What does it look like to have radical faith? We get uh, an example here in three different men. But in first one, we actually get the definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Then the author repeats himself, the conviction of things not seen. So my faith in Jesus Christ is the absolute assurance in my heart that Jesus is who he says he is. That's faith for me and for you. So I can stand here this morning and say, with absolute certainty, I love Jesus Christ. I believe who, he, who the Bible says he is. I believe that he was born, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a horrendous death, that all of that happened, that he rose from the dead to prove that he is who he said he was, the son of God. And by doing so, I'm granted eternal life if I just believe in him. That's the gospel. But it's also what I believe. I can say that with assurance. I have the faith to say that to you this morning. But then the author, he goes on. In verse 3, he says this, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Stop there. What makes our faith radical in this day? So we're talking about radical faith. We want our faith to be radical into the new year. What does radical faith look like? Well, we live in a world right now um, that teaches us a very opposite view of Scripture. Right? So... If you go to school now in a public school setting, your kids are going to be taught about science and that the world just came into existence through a big bang. That's what's taught right now in our schools. But as followers of Jesus Christ, for those of us who have faith in him, 
Look what God's word says. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. God spoke and there was, right? So when we stand here as followers of Jesus Christ, we say, I believe that God spoke the universe into existence. That is radical, is it not in our day? You draw a certain line in the sand when you say to your neighbor, I believe that every word of this book is true. And that God spoke this world into existence. That is definitely radical in our day. God is and he speaks. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So it takes radical faith just to believe that. But so often we think of our faith as radical as doing something or performing or this thing that we're doing for God. And what we're going to see here through three men is that it's not necessarily what we do for God. It's how we are towards uh, God. The author of Hebrews gives us three wonderful examples we're going to look at this morning. The first one is this. It's Abel in verse 4. Check this with me. We're just going to walk through God's word this morning together. Verse 4. By Abel, or by faith, rather, And by faith, that word is mentioned here, like I said, eight times um, in seven passages. Usually when you see a word like this repeated in Scripture, it gives us a sense of an idea of what this passage is about. We also see the word commended here in a bunch of time. We're going to kind of define those together by faith, what it means to be commended. Let's look at verse 4 here. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended, there's that word, as righteous. And God commending him by accepting his gifts. Let's stop there. We should ask the question, what was so special about Abel's sacrifice that God accepted him? That's a fair question. As we're reading through this passage, what was the big deal? He made a sacrifice. So what? Well, in order to kind of get the rest of the story, we've got to go back in into scripture. We live in 2018, 19. We get God's word where we can just flip back through history. It's awesome, right, to live in this day and age where we can just keep on going back in the Bible to find out more about what God's word says. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4. I'll throw it up on the screen here for you. It'll help us um, from flipping back and forth. Genesis 4 verse 2 says this. It's up on the screen. And again, she bore uh, his brother Abel. She being Eve, of course, uh, Cain and Abel were uh, the children of Adam and Eve. Uh, now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. What does that make him? A shepherd. And Cain, a worker of the ground. What does that make him? A farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought a, an offering, or the firstborn of his flock, and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Why? Why did the Lord have regard for Abel's offering, but not Cain's offering? They were both coming to the Lord with an offering, right? What was so special about Abel's offering? I want to point out two reasons why. Um, Abel's offering, firstly, it was a matter of his heart before the Lord. We know, if you know this story at all, Cain's heart before the Lord was wicked, Um, eventually Cain's wicked heart would cause him to murder his brother Abel. Abel was the first murder victim uh, in all of uh, history. And so the Lord can see right through, of course, that meager offering right into Cain's heart. And seeing Cain's heart is when Cain, I see right through what you're trying to do. Don't you know I can see right to your heart? 
Don't you know that you're about to commit murder? The hate in your heart towards your brother is going to lead you to murder him. There is no way that I'm going to accept this gift as an acceptable offering to me when I can see right through to your wicked heart. That was the reality of why God would not accept Cain's offering. Abel, on the other hand, brought an offering to the Lord with a pure heart. The Lord could see right through the offering, was able to accept it because Abel brought that offering to the Lord with a pure heart. It was a true offering of right motive before the Lord. And Scripture goes on to say that the sacrifice was commended to him as uh, righteous. In other words, God saw Abel's heart and the joy and the worship that he had for him and just simply accepted his uh, gift. So this word commended here, we see it a few times throughout this passage. I just wanted to define it. The word commended can be translated as sort of counted to or as attributed as righteousness. So in other words, it wasn't that Abel was righteous. He was a sinner just like you and me. But God was, he was attributed to his act of offering as being righteous. See the difference there? You and I will never be fully righteous this side of heaven. We can't be. We're riddled with sin. Today even. Riddled with sin. But when our hearts are pure before the Lord and we confess our sin and we acknowledge our sin before him and we offer him a pure offering, he accepts that with the love that it was intended to give. It's, it's, he commends it to us as being a right uh, offering. And so here's the, here's the application for this, for us this morning on this last Sunday of the year. Let me ask you, is your life marked with a sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord, like Abel. Like as you take inventory of this year and count the things that you would call a sacrifice, whether it's your time or your talent or your treasure, were those things offered to him in a way that were pleasing to him? Or were they offered maybe out of obligation or out of grumbling or maybe even a wicked heart? Um, like Cain. I just want to ask you that question this morning. Is your life marked with sacrifice to the Lord that is pleasing to him? But there's a second observation that I want to point out in the story of um, Abel's offering, and it has to do um, with Jesus. Um, I want you to notice that Abel is a a shepherd of sheep. And that's key in this passage. Maybe you wouldn't see it the first time through, but as you kind of think about it, why was Abel, a shepherd. What does that mean in the storyline of God's word? Well, we know Jesus Christ was the good shepherd, right? See, in this story here, we have the, the author of Hebrews. He's, he's pointing us gently to Christ through the story of Abel, which we can do. This side of history, we can look straight through God's word and the stories in God's word right to Christ and then through Abel. So we can see the larger storyline of what God is doing on earth through his son, Jesus Christ. But Abel never could, right? Abel had a, a small glimmer of faith compared to what we see today. It's amazing. Do you see Jesus Christ in this passage here? The, the author is carefully pointing us towards Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ was God's only son, that he was born to be the spotless lamb. But not only that, Abel's sacrifice was a blood offering, 
That was the difference between his offering and his brother's offering. It was setting up the sacrificial blood offering that we see all through scripture with finally being Jesus being the final blood offering for our sin. It's amazing when you sit down and you study a passage, when you spend time looking at it, what does this mean, Lord? Help me understand what this says. It was a direct foreshadowing to the blood of Jesus Christ that would be shed to wash away the sin of all mankind. Listen, Abel's life of faith and his heart for God and his acceptable sacrifice points us to the ultimate sacrifice that is Jesus Christ. That's what makes the story of Abel amazing for us. That's the application for us as we read this. Are my sacrifices to the Lord one that are pleasing to him and do I recognize that Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for our sin? Even though Abel never saw Christ, his faith was radically counted as righteous and it was salvific. In other words, it was enough to save him. Right now, Abel is in heaven amongst the saints because his faith was enough to save him. How much faith do we need? Amazing. Amazing. Let's look at Enoch. Enoch. In verse 5, let me read this to you. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he, could, that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Here's what we learn about the life of Enoch. God took him. Like, he was there, and then he wasn't. Like, this dude did not die. Literally, God came and took him. We don't have a, a, a ton of information that we get from God's word about Enoch. Uh, the only other place he, he appears, really, is in uh, Genesis chapter 5. Um, I got up on the screen here for you. Let me read it to you. When Enoch, this is all we know about Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. We usually know that guy because he was the oldest dude in the Bible, right? Verse 22. Enoch walked with God. And after he fathered Methuselah 300 years... And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. That's pretty remarkable. Verse 24. The author repeats himself here. Remember, when we see something twice in Scripture, it tells us what the passage is about. 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Twice in this little passage, we see that Enoch walked with with God. It alludes to us that Enoch had an unusual relationship with God. He walked with him. That term, to walk with the Lord, we still use that today, right? If I were to say uh, to you, hey Cameron, how's your walk with the Lord? Cameron's my oldest, 17. He knows exactly what I mean by that. What I mean is, are you close to the Lord right now? Cameron, are you in his word daily? Like we ought to be. Are, we, are you worshiping him? Like, Cameron, are you, are you serving him the way you ought to serve him? Is your life marked by a close walk that you have with the Lord? It's amazing to me that we still use this term uh, today. So again, like Abel, what we see here is what is pleasing to the Lord is just simply our sacrifices, our, our worship of him, 
and then our close walk with him. So you're reflecting back on this year, how was your sacrifices to the Lord? And then let me ask you this morning, how was, how's your walk with the Lord? Are you close to him? Is your walk pleasing to him? Is your, one, is your walk one that causes you to worship him and walk closely with him? Listen, even, even though we don't see Christ, the only way we get to see Christ, we get to experience him in our soul and we get to read about him in this book. So kind of like Abel and like Enoch, we don't see God, yet we worship him and we love him. That alone is radical in our day. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a deep love for a man you have yet to see. That's radical. Explain that to your neighbors. But that's the reality of walking close to Jesus Christ. We've fallen in love with a man we've never seen, but we've met, we know intimately through God's word. And we, we see here from Enoch that this walk was close enough that the Lord literally walked Enoch right into heaven with him. That, to me, is awesome. So here's, in, in this passage of Scripture it would be really easy for us to kind of skip through the first two guys and get to Noah. And I'll, I'll confess to you, in my prep work for this sermon, I wanted to get to Noah, right? My personality is such that, like, look what Noah did. Like, he built a giant ark for the Lord. Like, what an accomplishment for the Lord. Is your personality like, kind of like that, too? Like, you, you want to achieve for the Lord? You want to do something for the Lord? We're going to find out in a second here that Noah wasn't, hall of faith worthy because of what he built is it was because of his unusual walk and closeness to the Lord. Church, don't miss his application for your life this morning. What pleases God is how you worship him and how you love him and how you walk with him. That's it. Those are the things that are pleasing to the Lord. I don't know about you, but so often I'm trying to produce for God. I want to make my life count for something. I want to do something big for the Lord. And I'm learning through this passage. I'm learning. And what I want you to see this morning is what the Lord wants is your heart before he wants your action. If I was Noah, this is my personality. If the Lord said, build this boat, I'll be like, I can do that thing in 20 years, not 120 I'm going to put a motor on that thing. I'm going to put a slide on the back because my kids can slide off the end. That's my personality, right? It's like, Lord gives me an assignment. I can do this better. Watch. That's my personality. But that's not what this passage is talking about. As much as I want it to talk about that, that's not what God's word is saying to us this morning. Just like Abel, listen to this. The story of Enoch's life of faith also has deeper meaning, just like Abel's. Enoch's walk of faith was so close to the Lord that he walked him right into heaven. The Lord just came and took him. So as we think about that and we read that in God's word, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the Christ in me people here in this room, when we read a passage like that, we should go, hmm, wait a minute. One day, Christ is going to come and get me. I mean, either I'm going to die and be with him, or he's going to come with all the saints, and he's going to collect me, and I'm going to walk right into heaven with him. Like, that's the reality for us as followers of Jesus Christ, right? 
One day you're going to be with him. He's going to walk you right into the gates of heaven with him. I need a daily reminder of that. I don't know about you. Not a yearly reminder. I need a daily reminder that God is coming to get me. And when that day happens, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be the dud day, capital D day that we're looking forward to. Listen, if you're in Christ, your radical faith is going to walk you right into the gates of paradise to be with the Lord. Praise the Lord, right, church? Like, stop and praise the Lord for that. That's for us who can claim that we're followers of Jesus Christ, the Christ in me people. But here's where this message gets problematic. What if you're in the other category this morning? What if you're in the Christ in them category? What if you changed your outline at the beginning of this message? Man, you're brave. We're so glad you're here. I want to tell you the truth this morning from God's word. The next verse is for you. It's for you on purpose by the Holy Spirit written through this author. Verse 6, for the Christ in them people, says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It can't be done. So if you think by showing up here to church a couple of times a year earns you some sort of holy favor with God, can I tell you the truth this morning? It doesn't. Like If you put some money in the offering basket as it kind of went through your row and you pulled a $20 bill and you stuck it in there and you're thinking somehow this is going to give me good credit with the Lord one day. It's not. If your family is dragging you out here because they're Christians and they're followers of Jesus Christ and you think somehow that because you're in the same family and they're saved that somehow they're their salvation is going to save you as well if you just come with them and kind of play the thing with your family. I love you enough this morning to tell you that is not true. Why? Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That should cause a little bit of fear or anxiety to rise up with you in, in you this morning. I don't mind letting that tension sit uh, for a bit. But I do want to give you a solution. If you're wondering what should I do now, well, look at the rest of the verse. The answer is right in God's word. Don't look at me. Look at verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him, comma, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. That's it. That's it. That's all you have to do. Christ in them people. Believe that he exists. That's all you have to do this morning. Maybe you're thinking, well, certainly there's other things I got to do. Like, I probably drank a little bit too much over Christmas. I probably ate too much. I swear at my kids a lot. Um, I steal from my boss every now and then. Listen, you should stop doing those things. But you cannot clean yourself up enough to give yourself faith. 
It's a, it's a gift that comes from God. There is nothing else that you can do in your life that is going to please God if you don't have faith first. I'm going to give you one more verse and we're going to move on here. Romans 10.9 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be Saved. That's the answer. So you only need to take one note this morning. Write this down. I must believe. That's the only thing you need to write down. I must believe. If you're not sure if Christ is in you, if you're not sure that you're a Christian yet, if you're not sure that you're all into this thing, all you got to write down is three words. I must believe. Sit on that for a while. We're going to move forward. Okay, we're going to move from the topic of radical faith and talk about reverent Fear. This is our second point this morning. Because Christ is in me, I walk in reverent fear. Because Christ is in me, I walk in reverent fear. Where do we get that from? Verse 7. The first part of verse 7 says this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Stop there. You know, we often hear the story of Noah portrayed as some sort of like kids Bible time story, right? That you learn in Sunday school. There's, it's like a Disney movie with cute little animals that go on the ark with like butterflies and rainbows. And everyone lives happily ever after. The eight people on the boat. I've even seen people paint, if you've done this, grace. I've even seen people paint murals of Noah's Ark in their kids' nurseries. And I'm like, why would you do that? Noah's Ark is the most terrifying, one of the most terrifying stories in the Bible. And you want to paint that in your kid's room for what? Go to sleep, go to sleep. Just want to remind you daily that you're a sinner and that one day God well, killed everybody except for eight that were on the... Listen, I don't mean to be cute uh, with that. But what I want you to do is look at Noah's story from maybe a different angle. And what I want you to do is to feel the weight of sin in the story of Noah and the ark that God called him uh, to build. Again, we, just like the other guys, we can go back into Scripture and read more about this. Genesis 6 gives us a bit more insight into why Noah had a reverent fear of the Lord and why we should too. Genesis chapter 6, up on the screen for you. Let's read it together. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intentions of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he'd made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. See that there? Our wicked heart causes the heart of the creator of the world to be grieved. God is not some sort of thing out there. He's got a heart. And it's possible for us to grieve his heart with our sin. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8 goes on to say this, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why? says Noah was 
a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And then this, Noah walked with God. Same thing as Enoch. Noah walked with God. Church, you got to see in this passage here, Noah wasn't a giant of faith because he built the ark. Even in preparing for this message, that's what I was kind of thinking. Yeah, he's, Noah built the ark, right? That's what makes him amazing. That's why he's in the hall of faith. No, 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 no. He's in the hall of faith because his faith led him to walk with God. Just like Enoch, just like Abel and you and me who are in Christ. That's what makes Noah hall of faith worthy is that Noah had been warned by God. He heard these words from God and he believed them and it resulted in a reverent fear inside of him. And he took action and he obeyed. He believed God. He believed that when God said, I'm going to destroy the entire earth. I want you to build this boat. That word, reverent fear, um, in the original language, can be translated sort of as a, a respect or an awe or a holy respect, an awe, or a genuine spiritual devotion. So when we say we should have a reverent fear for the Lord, what I'm saying is we should have a genuine spiritually devoted life that is the mark that we fear a holy and awesome and perfect God. So then we look at the story of Noah, right? It took about 120 years, um, they say, to build uh, the ark. Shipbuilders have run the calculations, and although um, the the ark was never really designed for speed, its exact uh, length and width and depth make it the most possible um, stable boat you could ever build. To which we say, duh, right? Like the Lord (laughs) gave him the dimensions of uh, this boat. John MacArthur, in considering this, he wrote this about Noah. Uh, Among the countless faithful saints who have endured and persistence and obedience to God, Noah stands supreme, if for nothing else, in the sheer magnitude and time span of his one incredible assignment from the Lord. 120 years in obedience. Think about it. His neighbors would have thought he was nuts building this boat in his backyard. Hey, Noah, what are you doing today? Building an ark. Imagine his kids. Dad, what are we doing today? Boys, get the tools. We're building the ark. Dad, we've been doing it for like 100 years. Yep, we're doing it again today. Dad, our neighbors think we're crazy. Yes, I know. Get the stuff. Let's go. Right? Radical faith and a reverent fear we can see in Noah. John uh, MacArthur goes on to say this. One of the greatest practical acts of faith in all of history was Noah's cutting down of the first gopher tree for wood to make the ark. I thought that was so helpful. Imagine that first day. Noah's out there chopping down a tree in obedience. Listen, there is a beautiful golden nugget of application for us in this this morning. If anyone in all of history deserved to earn their salvation by their works, it was certainly Noah. 120 years building this thing out of obedience for the Lord. It would have been so easy for him to stand in there in heaven and go, look, Lord, I did what you told me to do. 120 years when everyone thought I was crazy. The book of James says that faith without works is dead. So in other words, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we should have faith starting and then works as a result. We do it out of joy. But 
The opposite is also true. Works without faith is dead. Work without faith is absolutely dead. I wonder this morning if we need to stop trying so hard to please God by our works when all he's asking from us is our worship of him. Who is that a word for going into 2019? I guarantee you, church, it's a word for me this morning. I so often think about what I'm doing for the Lord instead of how I am worshiping him. And when I'm focused on what I'm trying to do for God, it's legalism and legalism. Listen to me. It sucks the joy out of the believer. It's the opposite of worshiping him. It's not a life that's pleasing to God. It's not reverent, nor is it radical for that matter. Some of you are trying to build an ark when Christ is just asking you to chop down a tree, sit on a log, and worship him. Do that this week. Sit, worship, abide. Then write out your 2019 list of things you would like to see accomplished. Listen, there's a second nugget of application in this story as well. I want you to see that we should have a healthy, reverent fear of God and why. So instead of maybe putting yourself in the shoes of Noah, just humor me for, for this morning. Put yourself in the shoes of Noah's neighbor for a second. Sometimes it's good to enter into the text and kind of just consider it, like what it would be like if we were there. So imagine you're Noah's neighbor, Bob or Sally, pick a name. And for 120 years, you've watched Noah and his crazy family build this boat in their backyard, and you've hurled insult at him, you've made fun of him, you've gone around with all the other neighbors thinking, look at this crazy guy. Look what he's doing. Why is he building a boat? There's no water around here. So imagine that day, when that day came, when God acted on what he said he was going to do. And you're standing there, and you look up, and you see water falling from the sky. Remember, it has never rained up until this point in history. So immediately you know something's wrong. And you're looking at your arms and you're feeling the, the raindrops falling on your arms. And you're like, what is going on around here? But at the same time that that's happening, there's a torrent of water that's coming up underneath you. And so you're looking around going, what's going on here? And so you quickly scamble for your kids and maybe your husband or your wife and say, something's happening and let's go over to Noah. Like, there's water everywhere. He's got a boat. So you run over to Noah's house. At this point, you get there. All of your other neighbors are there at Noah's place. At this point, the water's up to here, right? And so you're grabbing stuff that's floating by, trying to hold on to it, trying to get your kids to hold on to it, trying to get your husband and your wife to hold on to them. And you're like, no, let me in. And Noah's like, I can't. Like, the Lord sealed the door. He's like, come on, Noah, it's not a joke. We're, gonna, we're all going to drown. Let us in, let us in. And you're starting to drown. The water goes into your... And you're... Wa- I could go on. But I think you get the point, right? Like Noah and his wife and the other six of their family members, they watched every single person they loved die in front of them. Men, women, children, aunts and uncles, cousins, their friends, all of them died that day. And they were powerless to do anything about it. That is the reverent fear that Noah had 
when God told him this in Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God, why would you do that? God, why would you kill everybody? Because the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts are still today only evil continually. Not much has changed in all these years. You know that? This is how serious God takes our sin. He can't tolerate it. It grieves him to his heart. The punishment that we deserve for sin is death. The Bible even tells us clearly the wages of sin is death. So let me ask you this morning, as you're considering this past year and this new year, do you take your sin seriously? I mean, like, listen, we all sin, but do you care that it grieves the Lord to his heart? It's the exact opposite of pleasing him. Listen, living in reverent fears means that I'm regularly repenting of sin. It's part of my life of walking with the Lord that I'm looking at my sin and acknowledging and going, God, I don't want that anymore. Please forgive me of that. I want to honor you with my life. I want to walk in fear. I want my life to be radical. I want my faith to be counted as radical before you. I want to do the things that please him. And I want to have repentance as a regular part of my life as a follower of Jesus Christ. When is the last time you sat down with a pen and a piece of paper and just wrote out every sin that you could think of? I sat down um, last night in our hotel room and did that. Man, it was a long list. Like just of this week, it was a long list. I'm sure my family could attest to most of the things on that list this week. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the beauty of repentance and acknowledging our sin and then confessing us. Man, the blood of Christ, it washes us clean. Listen, just like Abel and Enoch, the story of Noah also points us forward to Christ. Listen, I want you to see the sin in this passage, but as much I want you to see our Savior in this passage. Check this out up on the screen for you. Is this. I want you to see the parallels between Noah and Jesus. So Noah was a carpenter, right? Jesus was a carpenter. Noah built a, a wooden ark to save his family. Jesus bore the wooden cross to save the world. The ark was a, a means for salvation for eight people. But the cross is the means for salvation for everyone. Noah was saved by grace through faith. We, loved ones, are saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah. Do you see it? Like, do you see the beauty of Christ in these passages? We've been singing about Christ all morning. We've been talking about Christ. I'm doing my best to show you in God's word the beauty of Jesus Christ in these passages. Two carpenters. Noah's story is foreshadowing to us. It's pointing us towards Jesus and the fact that he came and that he is going to come again. The capital D day is coming. But there's actually a third carpenter. I want you to consider for a moment uh, the, the, the carpenter that 
built a torture device that we call a cross. Put yourself in his shoes for a second, if we can. Imagine that. This is the day you're building the cross that Jesus hung on. You don't know that while you're building it. You know you're building a torture device. What was the carpenter thinking about as he was planning down the cross? Like, did he, did he have any idea whatsoever that the Savior of the world was going to be nailed to that thing? It took Noah 120 years to build a boat. It probably took that carpenter, I don't know, an afternoon to put together the beams. Like, do you think he had any idea whatsoever that this would be the most significant piece of carpentry that was ever built in the history of the world to this day? Put yourself in that carpenter. Imagine being that carpenter. Church, I hope, man, I hope we get to meet that third carpenter in heaven one day. Like, I hope he's there. I hope that he saw Jesus nailed to that torture device. I hope he saw it with his own eyes. I hope he was there in that procession as he was led down. I, I, I hope he heard the agonizing screams as the nails were like nailed right through Jesus' hand onto the cross that he built. I really hope that in that moment he realized who this is, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I hope that he put his hands in his hand like this and went, what have I done? Jesus, I believe in you. I believe, you are the Messiah. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you now. And that's it. That's all he had to say. I believe in you now. We can be guaranteed if he said those words, he'd be with Jesus in paradise right now. Imagine being the guy who built the cross that Jesus bore. Put yourself there for just a moment. Church, when we gaze upon that awesome cross of Jesus Christ, it should cause reverent fear to rise up in us. A holy and a righteous fear, knowing that the wrath of God that Christ bore because of our sin, because of my sin, because of your sin. We know that Christ was the substitute who atoned for us. And it should have been me or it should have been you on that cross. Instead, it was Jesus Christ. As we look at this story today, if you and I were born in the days of Noah, there would have been no hope for anybody in this room. Look around. If you were born in the days of Noah, there would have been no hope for you. But we stand here today, 2018, the very end of 2018, there is hope for you. Praise the Lord, we live in the age of grace, right? Where the penalty has been paid for our sin, that we can run to Jesus Christ, and that he can guarantee for us the one thing that no one else in history could, and that is salvation. That is eternal life. It brings us to our final point this morning. Write this down. Because Christ is in me, I have the reward of righteousness forever. Look at the second part of verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events of yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, period. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The minute you say, I believe, 
you become an heir to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Think about that this morning. You are guaranteed to be an heir to the throne of Jesus Christ. Revelation says that you're going to share the throne with Jesus Christ. Think about that this morning. You're an heir to the throne of Jesus Christ. If Christ is in you, you win. You either go and die and be with him, or he comes back and he collects us. Either way, one day we're going to stand before the Lord with Abel and Enoch and Noah, and we're going to hear, well, God, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words that we're going to hear if, if we are the Christ in us people. I know that for sure because Matthew 24 says this. Bear with me, it's a longer passage, but just in, in light of all that we've read today, check out what Jesus himself said. These are the words of Jesus Christ. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were in the days of Noah, so will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be left in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken the other one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. If the master of the house had known on what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. It would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, church this morning, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Are you ready? Are you ready for that day? On the day of Christ, if you were to return today, New Year's Eve, tomorrow, New Year's Day, next week, 2019, if, if, if Christ were to return, would he find you walking closely to him in worship and devotion? Or will he find you wayward and distracted and far from him? Will he find you sharing your faith with everyone you know? Or will he find you hiding your faith from those around you? Listen, Christ follow, listen to me. Unlike the days of Noah, when the doors of the ark were shut, the arms of Jesus Christ stand wide open to us today and to you today. We are living in that age of grace. We can run to Jesus Christ in faith. So Christian, listen to me this morning. Knowing that, please don't squander another year of your life in walking with Jesus Christ. Literally, for heaven's sake, don't squander this life that Jesus has given you. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Here's our final application for this morning. Believer of Jesus Christ, this coming year, go and tell 
everyone you know that Jesus Christ is mighty to save. That's the only thing you need to do in 2019. You can make a list as long as you want. If that's the top of your list, great. Go and tell everyone that you know that Jesus Christ alone is mighty to save. In reverent fear, knowing that he's coming again. And when he does, it'll be too late for those who don't have faith. Tell them about the cross. Invite them to experience the amazing. <laughs> see it with spiritual eyes this morning. Don't you see that all the unbelievers around you are, are spiritually drowning right now? Do you see it with your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family members? They are spiritually treading water, and you have the answer for them. His name is Jesus Christ. Make that your highest priority in 2019. That Jesus Christ is mighty to save, and that his door stand, his arms stand wide open to you and to them. That's a New Year's resolution for this church and for me and for my family. A life pleasing to God is one that worships and walks and works for God, but it's also one that calls all the people around us to do the same. That is what pleases God. That answers our fundamental question from this morning. How do I live a life that's pleasing to God? Point everyone around you to him and to the Christ. Savior. Walk in reverence. Knowing that you're an heir to righteousness. Listen, Noah built a boat. That unknown carpenter built some beams, but it's Jesus Christ alone who built the bridge. And that bridge paved a way for the unrighteous sinner, you and me, to be reunited with a perfect and holy and righteous God. Do you believe that this morning? Can you believe that? That God would make a way for us to come to him? As unrighteous and unholy people, that Christ would make a way for me. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, the moment you say, I believe, Christ enters into you. That's how Christ gets into you. The moment you say, I believe, it's the power of the Holy Spirit starts to work inside of you. Other parts of scripture compared to the robe of righteousness that Jesus has. He's wearing this robe that only he can wear because he's perfect and he's holy and he's just and he's righteous. And the minute that you say, I believe in you. He takes that perfect robe that only he can wear because of the penalty that he paid on the cross. And he looks at your filthy robe, which represents your sin and your shame and all of your filthy habits and all of your unconfessed sin and all the things that you're ashamed of that you don't want anybody else to know. And the minute you repent of that and say, I don't want that life anymore. Jesus says, I love you, my child. And he takes off that filthy rag, casts it aside takes his perfect robe of righteousness, wraps it around you and says, you're mine forever. Forever. Nothing, nothing can remove that robe from you. That's why it says in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, you're an heir to righteousness from Jesus Christ. That's what he does. He wraps that robe of righteousness around you. No one could ever remove it. In that moment, you are sealed. You are guaranteed righteousness forever. And it guarantees your inheritance into the kingdom of God for all eternity. Oh, church, so awesome, right? So awesome, this life of faith that we get to live together. Listen, I want to sing a song together. I'm going to invite uh, Josh to come back up. Uh, we're going to sing one more song as we close up here. I want to end our time singing to the Lord the way we started it.
And I want to read to you the first two verses of this song that we're going to sing. Here's the first two verses. It says this. It's actually a question. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus. That brings us right back to the beginning of this message and the two different groups we have. If Christ is in you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, knowing all that we've talked about this morning, your simple response this morning is just to sing this with all of your heart. Jesus, only Jesus, if Christ is in you. If you're in that second category still this morning of like the Christ and them people, this song is not for you. I mean, you, you can sing the first two lines. Who has the power to raise the dead? You can ask that question. Who can save us from our sin? You can ask that question. But if you haven't said, I believe, and you haven't experienced the robe of righteousness that gets wrapped around you through the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no way you can sing, he is our hope, our righteousness. Because the truth is, it's Jesus, only Jesus. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you're in that group of the Christ and them, just this is your application for today. Just change your outline back. Just, circ- just scratch out them, put in Christ in me. That's it. Christ in me. You can even say it as a prayer. Christ in me. You don't think Jesus will be able to see through your heart and through that prayer and see that you mean it and say, of course, I love you, my child. Come enter my kingdom. That's all needs to be Christ in me. I believe. Christ in me. I believe. Oh, God, that you would grant salvation to those who desperately need it in this room right now. That they would say, Christ is in me. Father, do it for your fame and for your glory. And God, for all of us here who are counted as your sons and daughter, oh God, we worship you. We worship you. We want to sing to you right now as proof of our love and our adoration for you. Let's sing together, church.